this is uh, Genesis 3, starting at verse 14. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and for, du- and for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, now Ecclesiastes 2, starting at verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who is not told for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain, even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that your, your word speaks in uh, to all the situations um, of our lives. And as we think about work and its difficulty this morning, think about what your word says about it, uh, that you transform, transform us in our work by the renewing um, of our minds, uh, that we might live our lives as living sacrifices, holy uh, and pleasing to you. Uh, so help us now. I pray, because I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, we're thinking about this, I um, think about work, and work is a sacred calling. And this morning, we're thinking particularly about um, the difficulty um, of work. Uh, if you were part of the community group's discussion um, uh, last week, 
um, and you've been doing your homework, you may have been thinking over the last couple of days about the different stories that we tell about the work that we're in, like what our culture says, what even the, down to the, the type of work we're in, what it says about what its value is and, and why we should do our work. And we're all telling ourselves a story that will help us to get up in the morning, uh, help us to go towards our vocations that take up our time, whether those are paid or unpaid. Uh, certainly in our culture at this very moment, the work and its value and how we value it is very much in the news. We see that through the various interviews going on about the, the strikes in almost seems every sphere, every working sphere at the minute. Well, we saw last week that the Bible story about work, it starts with telling us that work has dignity and worth and is good because God is a worker and because we're created in his image and made to work like him, imaging him, forming and filling his creation, subduing it, we're told in Genesis 1. Uh, able to reflect him in whatever work we do, paid or unpaid, reflect him as creator, provider, uh, and redeemer in the good works that he puts before us, whether that's bringing order out of chaos as we clean our houses or empty the bins, or uh, as we protect and nurture, whether that's changing a nappy or um, safeguarding children, uh, or nursing patients, or as we create, whether you're an engineer or an artist, or forming the brain of a child as you play with them and nurture them. We're, we're all doing the work of creating, providing, redeeming like our Lord. We, we image him. Simply then, there's no, there's no sacred, secular divide in the Christian life. It's one of the big distinctions that came out of something called the Reformation some 500 years ago, where the church for many centuries has said that there was a sacred, secular, that the, the sacred was the church, and particularly the priests, but the, everyone else was just not sacred. <laughs> they were secular. But what people rediscovered was that's just not true. We're made to be a kingdom of priests. We're all priests as we head out uh, into the, whatever work that God has given us to do. And so it's very, very liberating, I think, to think that as you go to work, whatever it is that you're doing... And we're not just talking about paid employment, but all our work, that it's full of significance and dignity. And yet, we all know, don't we, that no matter how much you have fought to remember that this week, I suspect by Monday morning you've forgotten it because work is really difficult, isn't it? It's frustrating. Uh, you walked into the office or the staff room or, or uh, the school gate and you bumped into that person that just makes life difficult for you. Uh, you haven't achieved, perhaps, what you hoped you'd achieved this week. You've perhaps been aware of your sin, uh, whether that's laziness and procrastination that has meant you've scrolled on Facebook rather than doing the work that you were called to do, or cut corners or gossiped about your colleagues, or whether it's other people's sin, people letting you down like an over-demanding boss. I'm not going to catch Laura or Cat's eye as I say that. See, work is difficult, isn't it? It's frustrating. Maybe the project you've been working on for months and months has been shelved or given over to someone else. The, the budget just won't add up. Well, as much as Genesis gives us reasons to celebrate work, that it is 
good and has dignity. It, it wants us to see that work is difficult. And it's difficult because God has cursed work. Work is cursed. And it's something we so easily forget, I think. Although we, I'm sure you know it. If I was asking you to write a talk on the difficulty of work and why it's difficult, you would say this. But let's just see it again. Work is cursed. Turn back to Genesis 3 and look down at verse 17. As God brings the curse on Adam, particularly, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it. All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of the brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Work is cursed by God. It's under God's judgment. And we need to remember that because I think sometimes we can talk about work, however subtly, as as though work is some plot line in a romantic comedy. Uh, Have you ever had a conversation with someone who says, if you're struggling to find work, they say something like, well, I'm just sure the right job is out there just for you. Uh, Something that will fulfill you, something that will fit your gifts and, and make you happy. It sounds a bit, you know, Tom Cruise, you complete me work, don't you? You deserve a job of joy and fulfilment. And we say that to ourselves all the time, particularly when work is difficult. We think, I've just got to get out of this job because it's this job's fault. There must be a work that fulfills me. Now, that's not just like secularism speaking. Like, you read some Christian books on work, and they take seriously Genesis 1 and 2 and the goodness of work and the, the dignity of work, and take seriously Paul's language in somewhere like 1 Corinthians uh, 12, for example, where he talks about vocation and each having their own gifts to use. And it, the way it's talked about work is it sounds quite secular, really, that there, there's the job for you to fulfill you and make you flourish. But the Bible gives us Genesis 3. You see, if we forget Genesis 3, that work is cursed, under judgment, and only think as work as means to fulfillment and happiness and security, it will put an inordinate amount of pressure on our work that it can't fulfill. And it does, doesn't it? Increasingly in our culture, work is seen as something of an identity marker, something where you gain significance. And therefore, it's not surprising that the more we've talked like that, the more we realise that, well, the more we see people changing jobs all the time. People having multiple careers. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying you should never change your job. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with looking for a different job. It's it's one of the wonderful privileges of living in an economy that is stable, um, like ours. So please don't, I'm not saying stay in a job in which you're miserable. <laughs> but do recognise that the choice that we have in our culture can create a sense of entitlement that I must avoid all work that is difficult. Forgetting that God has cursed it. There is no perfect job. It's not out there. See, work is cursed. Uh, God says it's painful. 
See that in verse 17? Through painful toil. And this is the work that we're given, that we spend most of our time doing, the the six days a week, rather than the, the resting on the seventh. Work is difficult because God has made it difficult. It's under his judgment. So must remember his curse. And I think if we look, take seriously Genesis 3 as well, we must also see that work in and of itself isn't evil either, but is cursed. Those are different ways of thinking about work. Work is not just broken, it's under judgment. See, we were created to know, trust, and enjoy and depend on the God who made us. Uh, And our work was part of our trust and dependence on him. That's what we were made to do. But as you read Genesis 3, you see humanity and the part that we play in it as well of turning away from the Lord, refusing to trust him, suppressing the truth about him, pushing ourselves to the center of his world... The Bible says like, God, God is opposed to that. That kind of living in his world as though he's not really in charge of it. Living in his world with us at the centre of it. He is opposed to it. The Bible says he is angry at it. In the same way a loving parent gets, will be angry at a cancer that eats away at the child. So, so God is opposed to the sin in our hearts that ruins our humanity and ruins relationship with him. He's opposed to it, and that's why he's cursed work, to tell us that he's opposed to it. It's it's a consequence of our sin. Now, if we remember that, if we get that straight in our heads, then I think it will help us. Instead of on a Friday night coming, heading home after the pain of a hard day in the office and... I don't know, reaching for the box set or the games console or the bottle of wine or whatever it is. Perhaps the first thing to do is to be humbled by the difficulty of work. But we live in a world under judgment. Or whether it's traffic jams that make us late or annoying colleagues or the project that gets scrapped. As we face the thorns and thistles... Rather than allowing the bitterness to grow in our hearts and turn ourselves away from our colleagues or work, to be, first of all, confessing our own sin, to be humbled by the brokenness. I live in a world under judgment. Perhaps instead of resenting the difficulty of work, the first thing it should do is humble us. See, work is cursed. Secondly, work is frustrated. Uh, Thorns and thistles will produce. Uh, You will eat the plants of the field. Uh, You will eat your food, but it will be by the sweat of your brow, says Moses. Work becomes frustrated. I take it that before Genesis 3, as Adam and Eve tended the garden and worked it and were planning on expanding its borders into the wilderness. The creation would have worked with that humanity, uh, enabling them to fulfill and subdue it as they'd been commanded. But 
Now, the Lord says, thorns and thistles, blood, sweat and tears. The creation now works against humanity. But notice that the work is to continue. So food is to be gathered. Food is to be gathered. Or look across to chapter 4 of Genesis on page 7. We see that culture making continues. Uh, Verse 19, uh, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel, who was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Like culture making continues. We see industry, the beginnings of industry here, and the arts, and, and farming. But that culture making is frustrated by sin. Uh, Lamech, who comes a few generations later, is 77 times worse than Cain. Or flick across, uh, don't flick across, but remember in the story of Babel, great industry and great ability in work to to build a city with this great tower, uh, and yet full of evil intent. The work is now frustrated. Work has changed from Genesis 1 and 2. It's become difficult. Uh, And just notice chapter 9 of Genesis. Just flick across a few pages. Uh, It's page 11 of Genesis chapter 9. And look at at verse 22 of of chapter 8. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave it to you, green plants. I now give you everything. Notice that God, after the floods, sort of restores humanity... And he promises to sustain the creation. But then look what happens. He gives a, a repeats the command given to Adam. But what's missing? Anyone notice what's missing? This is not rhetorical. Anyone notice in 1 to 3 what's missing? Subdue. So work has changed. Go and fill it. But now there's no subduing. I don't want to make much of, too much of that, but it's interesting that there's a change. Work is frustrated. It won't enable you to do what you, God intended it to do in the beginning. It's, there's a different relationship with the creation now. God will sustain through seasons. Humanities continue to gather food and, and work the land, but it's frustrated. Now, I know that I don't need to say much to persuade you that you find work frustrating. Um, I'm sure you'll talk about that uh, afterwards. But yet, it's so easy to think, isn't it, that at some point we're going to find work the most liberating and fulfilling thing. Just find the right job, just find the right colleagues. Just find the right boss and it will, it will liberate me. But the Bible says, no, it's frustrating. 
And it will always be frustrating until Jesus comes back. Our vision for work, if I could put it like this, our vision for work will always outstrip the reality of what we can actually accomplish. It's the January, January feeling, isn't it? You, January the 2nd or midnight on the 1st, you think, this is the year. And then eight hours later, you go, no, it's not. <laughs> it's like that with work, isn't it? That's what work is like. And that's why Ecclesiastes is so wonderfully helpful. Turn to page 671, and we'll listen to the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes. If you don't know anything about the book of Ecclesiastes, it's wonderful. It's quite a difficult book, but it's wonderful. It's, I think it's a, a commentary on a cursed world. Uh, some people say it's been written by someone with the perspective of, of no God. I don't think that's true. I think it's written as a, someone with the perspective of God who just is taking an honest look at what the world is like. And as it was read, did you not feel yourself resonate with the teacher in verses 17 of chapter 2 down to 26? It feels like a summary of the week that you've had, doesn't it? So much promise in our work, but the commute ruins it. We write reports that quickly become out of date, that are no longer needed. You put all the washing away, and turn around, and there's the laundry basket overflowing again. You change your baby's clothes, and then you hear that loud trump and think, we're doing that again, aren't we? Uh, Russell Brand, that great theologian, um, once said of his job as a celebrity, which he defined himself as, He says, being a celebrity is like buying a new pair of shoes full of excitement and joy and then you get them home and find that they're too tight and you need another pair. Uh, Katie's sister is quite a senior town planner down in Hertfordshire and I was talking to her about her job. She's a fellow geography graduate so we have a little bit in common Um, and um, talking about what it's like to be a town planner. And one of the things that stuck with me is that she said this, that you can find, spend almost years, if you're thinking about putting a, I don't know, a a new estate somewhere in a city, finding the right location, uh, doing all the the stakeholder negotiations, you know, facing those those NIMBY residents who don't want it in their backyard, you know, put it somewhere else and going through all of that, dealing with protesters perhaps, uh, talking with gas companies and water people and all the rest of all the things that need to be put in place before you even think about starting to build an estate. And it would take years to pull these reports together, get the work finished. But then she said something striking. He said, but it's only valuable because sometimes you do that and then there's an election and a new government, government is voted in and they might just change their mind straight away. All that work comes to nothing. Work is frustrating. I mean, you might not be a town planner, but you know, you've written an essay for your lecturer, or, and they n- never really read it, never really give you feedback. Well, whatever it looks like in your sphere of influence. See, work is cursed and work is frustrated. 
So go and have a great week. Should we leave it there? <laughs> well, there is good news. And it's even in Ecclesiastes. See, work is cursed. Work is frustrated. But you can work, says the teacher, with tranquility. Sounds good, doesn't it? Just turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. See, that for all that is twisted, broken, and frustrated about work, the teacher of Ecclesiastes says, we're able to work with tranquility. Uh, Look down at chapter 4, verse um, 5. It's got a couple of things to say about work before we forget to the the key verse. But he says, um, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Now, we thought about that last time, didn't we, of, like, laziness and procrastination, all that, like... God says work or you don't eat. You see that in Thessalonians. Fools fold their hands uh, and ruin themselves. Well, look down to verse 8. It says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless and miserable business. Uh, Sounds a bit Scrooge-like, this man, doesn't it? Work becomes all-consuming, that his life is just full of loneliness and lack of community. But then, it's chapter 4 and verse 6. Better one handful of work with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Or just flick back to chapter 2. And verse 24, this was the end of our passage. And I don't know if Connie read it, whether this came out as a bit of a jar, given he's talked about the meaninglessness of work. And then he says this, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Or flick across to chapter 3, verse 22. Sorry to be jumping around a bit. But listen to the teacher again. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? So which is it? (laughs) Cursed, frustrated, toil and emptiness, meaningless, or tranquility, satisfaction, enjoyment? Well, Ecclesiastes, the answer to that question of which is it depends on which, uh, which spectacles you're wearing. See, in this wonderful little book, there are two sets of spectacles that the teacher wears. Uh, the first spectacle he wears, puts on, is, is life under the sun. Just, and that just means life just as it is, as you see it, as you observe it. Uh, It looks meaningless. You do a great job, but then you have to hand it over to someone else, and who knows what they'll be like with their work. But then there's the second pair of glasses, which there's a little phrase called life under heaven. Uh, And it's a change in perspective when you acknowledge that it is the Lord who has made the world this way. In chapter 7, verse 13, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says... Who can straighten out what God has made crooked? You see, the tranquility comes and the satisfaction in work comes 
when you see that the frustration of work and the cursed nature of work is something that God has made it that way. He's done it. See, work isn't evil. It's not the necessary evil to get you to your weekend. It's full of dignity and it's good, but it is broken and crooked because God has made it like that. So instead of thinking of work as a necessary evil to get me to my leisure, you can see the good works this week as something that God has given you to do. Albeit they will frustrate you and they will be difficult. Instead of seeing work as something to give me significance and security, uh, rather than the Lord and becoming bitter and disillusioned and grumbling and blaming others, I can be humbled by the difficulty because God has made it that way. He's made it that I might, I guess, depend on him and trust him and turn to him for help to remind us that we're made for a different world, a world made where we depend and trust on him. And in that way, I think work becomes worship. Not that it becomes always life-giving and wonderful and, you know, like you've got the closest relationship with Jesus and it's all going swimmingly at work. No, in all its frustration and all its difficulty, worship as you repent and confess and grow in dependence on Jesus, as you go towards those colleagues that frustrate you, as you keep writing the reports that no one listens, knowing that you write them for the glory of Jesus as you work hard at them, asking him for help to walk into that meeting, And make a contribution, even if you're afraid of the boss that you're making it before. So liberating. Brothers and sisters, you can stop daydreaming about winning the lottery and being free from work. But seeing as the God-given context in which he has placed you to make much of him, even as it's difficult, even as it's frustrating... James 1 verse 2 says, Count every trial as pure joy because of what God is achieving in you through it. And I think that includes the frustration of work. You can work with tranquility. But we also, don't we, as people who live on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus, as we were thinking about just with Connie. We, we live in a different era than even the writer of Ecclesiastes. Because we see that there's, there's, a, there's an end coming to the frustration. Because we see Christ crucified and risen for us. Uh, we see the perfect man who entered into our cursed and broken work world to serve us. who entered entered our cursed and frustrated world to live the life of dependence on his Father perfectly that that you and I refused to live and could never live, to labour on our behalf. The king who died the death we deserve for our refusal to do those things and has now risen and is seated at the right hand of his Father, which means that everything Jesus does now because he's defeated death, everything he does is fruitful forever. We 
which Paul, Paul says has some implications for us. He says this at the end of reflecting on the resurrection in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, verse 52. He says, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, for your labours are not in vain. Isn't that good news? The report that you write that no one reads is not in vain if it's done in Christ. It is seen by your king and valued. And you will be rewarded for it, for that hard work. How that will work, I'm not sure, but that's the promise here. It's not in vain. See, the difficulty of work reminds us of our fallenness. The frustration of our work teaches us humility and dependence on God that we were made for. It tells us don't find your security or significance or identity here. It will not deliver it. But with the, lens, the sort of spectacles of life under heaven on what, who God is and what he's done, we can see work as broken and, and allow it to point us to Christ who redeems our work. And we'll think about this in weeks to come. And packs our work now full of fruitfulness. Even the most fruitless looking work is not done in vain if it's done in Christ's name. Colossians 3, 20-ish. <laughs> you can look at that later. So you can give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord this week.